The following podcast is a deep, shallow dive production. Okay, let's go. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Mm. Individual carbon footprint tracker. What does that mean? That means they're going to track everything you do. What does that mean? That means once they track it, they'll know exactly what you're doing. And if they want to control things, they can. What does that mean? That means. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Oh, man. I had to have a little bit of a laugh on that. So more strange videos are emerging from the World Economic Forum. If you did not get a chance to listen to that episode, I actually did a very unbiased or as much of an unbiased take as I could. And now that more segments are coming out, you know what? We've got to pivot. We've got to get a little bias and ridicule some of this stuff because it's crazy. You know, this clip where this guy basically says, your individual carbon footprint basically tracks. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Anyway. All right. So, you know, this all plays into really a lot of the things we've touched on in terms of thinking about you know, the trackability of our lives and, you know, where, where is the line between, okay, efficiency through technology and improvement for all versus, you know, really just monitoring. And I am, I am pretty close to having the social credit score episode about China completed. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And that'll be part three of the China series. We've got the One China Policy, and then the New Silk Road, also known as the Belt and Road Initiative. We've talked about that. And so anyway, all of that stuff, along with the central bank digital currency stuff, you know, again, it it all, you know, for, let's see, how do I want to say this? At the end of the day, let's just have it on the radar. You know, hopefully there is nothing I guess, nefarious about this stuff. And let's hope that it all does just improve life efficiency. But, you know, there is, there is a little concern when you talk about, you know, tracking everything and monitoring everything and then having the ability to restrict, you know, personal freedoms, individual freedoms because of the ability to track and monitor and then, you know, really, it'll come down to what is the decision-making system for that. And, you know, like I've talked about many times, this all, gosh, this really does all play into the Steve Jobs quote again. I think I'll bring that up like a billion times during the course of this podcast. But, you know, everything that's being done is being done by other human beings that are no smarter than you. The problem is 
some of them think they are smarter than you. And so, you know, it becomes who's, who gets to choose things that affect the masses. And again, I'm talking about personal freedoms and liberties and things like that. Not anything from a safety standpoint, really think about all the stuff that, you know, we never really needed to worry about prior to probably 2016. All right. Anyway, let's move on. So today I'm just going to talk about a few different things that I think are pretty interesting and really it's going to be a little bit of a introduction to all these topics without going super deep right now. But I do think these are things that make sense because they're going to be in play. And here is the first one. The driving force behind wars in this country have been a group of people called the neocons that are embedded in the State Department. They published their manifesto in the late 1990s. It was called the Project for a New American Century. And this outlined their plans for the world. And what they said is... All right. So really quick, this is RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Man, his voice. I wish that would get fixed for him. I feel bad. I feel like it just unfortunately hinders getting his point across because it's a little difficult to listen to him and sometimes hard to understand, especially in clips like this. But he is talking about the neoconservatives, okay? They're also referred to as the neocons. And basically, this was a gr- the OG original gangster group of Republicans during the George Bush eras. It actually started with Bush Sr., and I'll play something on that in a second. But it really became, you know, kind of mainstream, well, sort of mainstream through Bush Jr. And it was George W., Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, this guy named Paul Wolfowitz. And again, they were labeled as neocons, neoconservatives, because they basically wanted to, you know, kind of make America great again. This is also probably like the original MAGA movement, which, by the way, making America great is not a bad thing. That's another term that I feel like has just gotten so, I don't know, just confusing If you literally think of those words, make America great again, I think we'd all agree that we would like America to be great. But anyway, let's listen to the rest of this. That America had won the Cold War and as the victor, it was our privilege to run the world for for at least a century. It would be the project for a new American century. And that we should accomplish this feat through the use of our superior military power and through violence. All right, let me chime in again so that way I don't have to replay things. But, you know, this was coming out of the Cold War. Russia pretty much was dismantled and weakened. And so, you know, the U.S. US was the, the, the bully on the block, the big boys. And so this really started this process of, you know, the military-industrial complex, I guess, coming into play when it comes to the destabilization of the Middle East, Middle East, many Middle Eastern countries. And remember, those Middle Eastern countries had one primary thing in common, actually two. One, oil, two, natural gas. So tremendous, tremendous resources that contributed a lot of money. And it outlined eight countries that needed to be overthrown, including Iraq. And then shortly after publication of that, the neocons in the White House who surrounded President George W. Bush defrauded us into the Iraq war by saying there were weapons of mass destruction and suggesting, you know, falsely that that Saddam had something to do with the 9-11 attack. 
Man, I find this stuff super interesting. So again, RFK Jr. talking about how, you know, going after these countries. We we've heard that General Wesley Clark speech. I played I've played that a few times on the podcast where he says there's a plan to you know, invade seven countries in the next five years, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, Libya, Sudan, and I think Somalia. And all those countries definitely have had issues. You know, I can't say we've invaded all those countries, but as far as Iraq and Afghanistan, obviously those are the two best examples of, you know, the concept of forever wars, which Glenn Beck did talk about, and I did like that take. So, Here's to that take, and I do like this take from RFK Jr. Now that work cost us in the end about $8 trillion. We left Iraq worse than we found it. We killed more Iraqis than Saddam Hussein. Uh, the country is now an incoherent battle between Shia and Sunni death squads. We created ISIS. We drove 2 million refugees into Europe, which destabilized all the nations in Europe for, you know, the next probably century. And all of those neocons were driven out of office and we thought they were gone forever. All right. So if that wasn't interesting enough, which I think that was incredibly interesting, you know, he talks about how the United States created ISIS, which they actually probably did, you know, Saddam, the, you know, if you think about it, remember the Taliban got taken out of power in 2001 after all that money and all those unfortunate dead people who's back in power in Afghanistan, drum roll, the Taliban. So now here is the most interesting part of this segment that he did or this interview that he did on, I think it was like the Rubin report with David Rubin. Listen to this. But they reappeared first in the Obama administration. Now they run the Biden administration. Dun, 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 dun. That's pretty interesting. So neoconservatives, neocons, Republicans, and now there is a group that is referred to as the neoliberals, the neolibs. And basically, that is pretty much everyone you kind of hear about in the Biden administration. You know, Antony Blinken, John Kirby, Biden, Obama, all these guys are part of, you know, this neoliberal organization, which in many ways is you know, kind of like the Democrats version of the neocons. So I wanted to play that. I think it's really interesting. I think that I need to like really do a bunch more research on that. But I think there is a, you know, there's a viewpoint there. There's a viewpoint that I think if we can really understand and understand this concept better of the neoconservatives and what those guys were wanting to accomplish, and that is Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, maybe a few other guys. And then they kind of got disbanded. It's like that band broke up, and then the new band is these neoliberals. And then the question will be, behind the scenes, are the old-school neocons and the new school neoliberals on the same team. I mean, I will say you do see a ton of pictures of George W. Bush, his wife, 
the Obamas, the Clintons, you know, they're all palling around these days. You see a lot of pictures of Bush, Obama, and Clinton together. And I think we all forget just how ridiculed and in many ways hated George W. Bush was. Man, that guy was a, that guy was like just balked on a practically daily basis. So, you know, the the concept of the neoliberals, the new school neoliberals, along with the old school neoconservatives, you know, teaming up. And again, this is a little bit behind the scenes. I mean, is it plausible, Ray D? That is plausible. That is plausible. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. I wanted to introduce that today. All right, next up, let's channel the inner weird of Elon Musk from yesterday's episode or the the concept of weird. So I wrote a book in 1995 and I said that if, it, if the West doesn't wake up to the nature of militant Islam, the next thing you'll see uh, is the, the militant Islam is bringing down the World Trade Center. All right, so if you didn't recognize the voice, that is Benjamin Netanyahu, current Israeli prime minister, and that was 1995. And he basically said he wrote a book that kind of predicted the takedown of the Trade Center. What does that mean? Uh, That means that's like really weird. That's weird. That's not something that I feel like anyone should have ever predicted. And again, you know, you think about all this stuff collectively, all the data that's coming out from, you know, all that stuff. And when you when you start to piece things together, including this. That a clear connection between Saddam and September 11th must be established before we have a right to prevent the next September 11th. That was again Netanyahu. And, it, and there never was a connection between Saddam and September 11th because there was no connection. So like... Think about these guys when they're making these speeches in the moment. Their, their conviction is so solid. What does that mean? That means they've got an agenda and an ulterior motive. Well, I think not. There is no question whatsoever that Saddam is seeking and is working and is advancing towards the development of nuclear weapons. No question I mean, think about that. Listen to the conviction in his voice. There's no question. Well, it turned out, yeah, there was a question because he wasn't. He had no weapons of mass destruction. All right. Incoming. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Incoming. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake. All right. Now, you can take it any way you want. And it took just... It took Jeb Bush, if you remember, at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced for president, took him five days. He went back. It was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Took him five days before his people told him what to say. And he ultimately said it was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent two trillion dollars, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So what does that mean? George Bush made a mistake. We can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized the Middle East. All right. I'd like to give you guys trigger warnings for all you folks that hate Trump. But you know what? Honestly, I don't care anymore. I really don't care anymore. 
I'm calling a spade a spade with everything, everybody, all the time. It's what I'm doing. And, you know, he made great points with that. He made great points with that because at the end of the day, there is one fact, and that is... You call it whatever you want. I want to tell you, they lied. Okay. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none, and they knew there were none. There were no weapons of mass all right. Okay. destruction. Okay, all right. All right, I had fun editing that. <laughs> Sometimes I get into these weird, like, ooh, let's piece these clips together and make it funny. That's kind of funny. That was kind of funny. In all seriousness, though, you know, I do want to say moving forward, oh, man, I've said this a few different times over the past 97 previous episodes, today being 98. Man, we're coming up on 100. Anyway, I really, I really have my groove. I do. I'm very comfortable now, and, you know, I'll be very honest. I have always been very hesitant about talking things about Trump because he's just such a lightning rod. But you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm going to treat him like I treat everybody else, and I'm just going to, you know, if I find a take of his that is good, I'm going to play it. If I find a take of his that is bad, I'm going to play it. So... Welcome to welcome to the chopping block, Donnie DT, Donnie boy. You now, along with everybody else, are going to get called out, you know, good or bad, good or bad. And by the way, calling a spade a spade, you know, sometimes it works in people's benefit when they're spitting truth the way he was in that Republican debate against Jeb Bush. So anyway, all right, listen, that is all. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. And... I seriously appreciate all the support. I am starting to crank out some videos. So if you are following the various social platforms, you'll start to see some reels, some 60 and 90 second takes. Anyway, if you get a chance and you have not done so yet, I would totally appreciate a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. And then... Deep Shallow Dive handle. That's the handle for all the social networks. Our Instagram, our Instagram channel or page or whatever you want to call it is, is really, you know, generating some interesting conversations. We're up to over 14,000 subscribers and the top three posts on there are, you know, almost, almost approaching 5 million, 5 million views with another maybe 7 million collectively of everything else. So Anyway, we're moving the needle. Let's have some interesting, honest conversation moving forward. Like I said, let's call a spade a spade. What does that mean? Shut up. You know what that means. I called a spade a spade on you earlier. So anyway, call a spade a spade, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. This episode was brought to you by Boost Liquid Vitamins. Wake up, take your boost, start your day. Drink your vitamins, build your immune system with Boost. Available on Boost.com.